So, Richard, you said uh, you had just one more thing to say. Yes, at the the end of um, last week's episode, uh, there was there was one more point, and this one from um, our North of England correspondent Lucinda Bolger, and uh, she sent me a a screenshot of a poster from the Tower Arts Centre, and it's a the Morrigan playing. And the date on it is the 22nd of November. And that turns out it was 22nd of November, 1985. But the name down, and this refers back to us talking about Simon King and Prince Boohoo. Uh, the name down for Prince Boohoo is Prince Boohoo and his Plowman's Lunches. And I didn't remember a thing about that. So I texted Cinder back and said, what is all that about? And Cinder reckons that there was a period when... Prince Boo and his little smuts wasn't a thing and that name would change every every gig. And so that's why on this poster it says Prince Boohoo and his plow person's lunches. Which is like totally, totally strange. All written in um John Tellett's like glorious uh glorious way of writing on posters. So yeah, so that's um yeah, that's a weird thing. But the posters on um well I'll post it up on our Facebook page and and stuff because it's uh yeah 1985 it turns out that the winchester phone numbers were still five digits so the tower's number is six seven nine eight six rather than eight six seven nine eight six which is a telephone number i will never forget in my life so you would answer the phone saying winchester seven eight nine eight six yeah I, yeah well some people still did till a few years ago that like, i don't know if you ever phoned um our mate Peter Bruntnell at home at his mum's house in London. But <laughs> no. she sort of like used to answer the phone by going, Surbiton 241. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, where I, where I grew up was Painswick 2188. And, and, and it was a party line. So if you're unlucky, the neighbours were already talking to, to somebody else. So you couldn't reveal any uh, deadly secrets to anyone. Sounds like a good song title, though. <laughs> what, party line or deadly secrets? No, Painswick 2, whatever you said. <laughs> That sounds more like a sort of Cold War spy film or something, doesn't it? Painswick 2188. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. So this uh, this band, The Morrigan, uh, now this poster was advertising um, an, an event at the Tower Arts Centre in Winchester, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, I know you have um, had over the years very strong connections to the Tower. I, mm. I'm just going to try and describe it uh, because it was... A wonderful, wonderful Winchester institution. Um, it was an old water tower mm -hmm. and it was attached, uh, well, a building still exists, of course, attached to um, Montgomery of Alamein School, as we call it, now King's School. And uh, it had one main room, which was like a, a concert room, which was the actual sort of probably is it octagonal, heptagonal water tower. So it was circular, quite difficult to, to sort of get a, a stage and a, yeah, uh, and an auditorium in, but and then there was a, a kind of a balcony or a kind of elevated area where people would congregate and a small bar. Yeah. Then down a few steps, something along the lines of a little art gallery, but where you could hold other events too. Yeah. And then offices. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, run by Hampshire County Council in the days when they used to run subsidized arts centers and with a very charismatic um, gentleman called John Tellett being the supremo for the whole time that I've been in Winchester uh, that he was in charge of 
basically the Arts in Winchester because the Theatre Royal was sort of posh and very mainstream. Tower was slightly alternative, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. And if um, if I ever won the lottery, I would buy that. I would buy it back off the school. Yes. And reopen it and be very tempted to call it the John Tellett Art Centre. Although yes. John would John would hate that. So I would probably <laughs> just call it the Tower. But yeah, if I if I you know anybody can hold me to that, if I ever win millions and I can afford to buy that, I will and reopen it. Yeah, I would I'll, I'll go into business with you on that as well. Mm. Um, remind me, uh I, I remember he, he had a regional accent, but I can't remember what region. Liverpool. Oh yes, yes, the Scouser, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. So he was um yeah, he was there yeah back in the day so yeah he saw the Beatles at the cavern and all that kind of malarkey he's got lots of good stories from from back then but then John's got lots of good stories about everything really he's that yeah top top guy he also he had a Beatles haircut as well didn't he really a fringe yeah and well it was crossed between the Beatles and the Chuckle Brothers Um, (laughs) (laughs) we always say he was a bit like like a third Chuckle Brother in a way um but yeah, he, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Descri- what, what can I, what can I say? Describe some, of, describe some of the things that that went on at the tower then. Well, I, did, I mean, it it changed so much over the years. I I first started going there and doing stuff there in what must have been eighty four, eighty five. Simon King had this. Um, well, Hampshire County Council or the government or whatever ran a kind of, you know, youth opportunities program thing where you, you know, you'd get like 40 quid a week for doing something. And so Simon and a bunch of people um, set up this um, theatre company and, and that was called Eye to Eye. Oh, yes. And that, and that had like Alison Goldfrapp in it. Um, yes. I think Rich Turner was in it. And that would have been closely, I guess, Kevin Rayner was teaching art there at the time, but like Gumby, Michael would have been involved there as well. And Rob Westwood and various other people. I think Rod Chamberlain did it as well. I'm not entirely sure. And I think it was, I don't remember that, but just after that, that's when I had met Simon. And then the, the year after we, we did the music for this Hampshire County youth theatre production this show called the tree that held up the sky and that was written by a guy called paul king not paul king from the band king but (laughs) um and and directed by john and simon got this band together to do the music and that was that was me max abs nick bevan or i'm probably like martin doswell i'm probably forgetting people here sorry to them um and and that took place in this sort of in this big top down at the down at the rec center down north walls so so i was spending that like took up a whole summer because there was all these kids from all over hampshire that were staying in the student accommodation for what was king alfred's college now university of winchester and they'd come up to the tower every day and we rehearsed with them and then we did the show and then after the show somehow the opportunity came up to kind of do another youth opportunity kind of little theatre um, group. And so that was Simon, me and Rob Westwood and Rob being the lead singer of Prince Boohoo as well. And so 
the original one, as I said, that was eye to eye. And then ours was called eye level. And it mainly involved like me, Rob and Simon spending all day at the tower mucking around. Simon eating um, Brussels sprout sandwiches. Never forget <laughs> that, the, the most horrific thing. <laughs> I know anybody can ever imagine. And so, yeah, we we did that and it was, I mean, it was brilliant for lots of reasons. Obviously, it was brilliant fun. Um, and then we put on this show called Sharabanks of the Gods where, I don't know, I ended up like, I was doing weird, like David Coleman impressions in it and stuff. And <laughs> there, there was obviously music in it and I can't remember what else happened. I'm sure it was like, a, a lot of it was sort of made up on the on the spot and I can't believe it was just me Rob and Simon there must have been other people but yeah it was me Rob and Simon most of the time up there to put this in context yeah. roughly how old were you at this stage uh I don't know 20 I guess no okay. no no 18 19 something like that I so you had, you had a job or this and this was kind of like a no no this, that, oh. that was my job so I so I yeah I think I guess no actually tell a lie I bet I was working at Sparings still I was probably doing the early shift at Sparings and then um walking up to the tower every day and it's really weird that walk if like if, if you go up sort of Sarum Road or Greenhill Road up through the full flood you used to be able to walk straight over into the back of the tower so like an old person I can actually say I can remember when all this was fields because I can remember when it was all fields before <laughs> it was houses so yes of course so yeah that was my intro to the tower and then it, it just went from, it went from there because then we had Boohoo together and on the bus together. And so we were rehearsing and gigging up there all the, all the time as, as well. Um, well, this makes me realize that I actually was frequenting the town before you were probably because I put on shows mm. there um, in uh, round about, I guess, 70, 78. Oh, and no, I was, I was there that show you did where... Uh, well, there was um, the burnt <laughs> offerings gig. That that yeah, that was probably one of the last ones we did there. Yeah. Um, I, I, I unlike you, um, I who've always had a very smooth relationship with John. I, I didn't necessarily because th th there's a whole raft of reasons, but he didn't really feel comfortable with, uh, shall we say, rock music. And in a way, he 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 was sort of right because the tower wasn't particularly suitable for it. But no, not um, I put on a punk festival there. Uh, it was a weekend thing, and the the main headlining band was a, a band from Pool Dorset called Tours, who were signed to Virgin and were a really good little band, very very much a favourite of John Peel. So it was a cool thing to do to have this. But uh, I think a couple of local Winchester bands supported and basically, as always used to happen in those days, to be fair, um, a load of idiots came along and, uh, and, and sort of started trashing the place. And John was absolutely incandescent, not surprisingly, because of course the tower was his, his, baby and he he, he, yeah. he was very very um possessive of that if that's the word about it and i i was incredibly embarrassed about the whole thing but he 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 was furious about that um but i i think it must have been a, a, a bit later when i did the burnt offerings show which was a, a four sort of hampshire bands that i put out a, a compilation album by 
and uh, we had the launch there and that was a much better event because uh, those bands were kind of more mature and didn't have a a dodgy following and so i think kind of uh, the the ice melted slightly uh, at that stage um and i always had tremendous respect for him but there was always just a slight sort of gritting of teeth because the other thing was of course that i was the local critic and yeah. being being a critic you have to say if you don't think anything's not very good so whenever i had written a, a glowing review of some event at the tower um i was i was welcomed with open arms and when i'd written a, a less than glowing review <laughs> i got the sort of the evils and the uh and the sort of a you know, you're not really welcome here sort of uh, uh sort of approach but um yeah so it, it was tense but oh god over the years i've been there so so many times anyway you ended up working there rich yeah i did um i uh, yeah i can't remember i mean i have no idea when like the boohoo thing finished and we stopped doing gigs although those gigs were amazing because as, as i said it was almost it was almost sort of once a once a week it was just just an incredible incredible thing to do so i mean maybe i was young in that because i remember playing a gig there on my 18th birthday i did like a, a double bill boohoo on the bus gig there on my 18th hmm. um yeah yeah but yeah i, I ended I up there. i ended up yeah you probably yeah you probably were it's very likely um, i was yeah yeah, I ended up working there because, um, well, Sharon got a job there. Sharon applied for the job there as admin assistant. I think that was the title. And so Sharon had been working there sort of about six months. And and I was I was working nights at the Hotel Divan. <gasps> That's know, another little, uh, little little story we'll have to tell as well. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that I was, was only... A- I was only going to period. be there for like a couple of months and I ended up there two years and I wanted, I wanted this Christmas off. And I guess this is, this has got to be, I'm going to say Christmas 97. And Mike, who was sort of my line manager, he said, he said, no, you know, you, you have to work nights over Christmas. And I said that either give me this time off or I'll hand in my notice a month before Christmas. And they didn't give me the time off, so I handed him a month, my notice the month before Christmas and left. Um, and then the the woman who was um, publicity officer at the Tower, she went on maternity leave. And so John, John wanted someone to help out at the Children's Festival, which is February half term. So this is February 98. So I went up and I was just like helping John and Sharon and Bauline and everybody that was there, like doing all the crazy stuff. And then, yeah, the, as I said, the publicity officer went on maternity leave and, you know, John had enough power back then to say, oh, Rich, do you want to, do you want to fill in? You know, you know a bit about this kind of stuff. Do you want to like fill in and help out? So I filled in and helped out and then she didn't come back from maternity leave um and so yeah i got i got the job full time and i was there for four years 98 to 2002 and, and was it uh, as you said uh, in a previous episode you you were talking about the observer being your second favorite job was this your most favorite job or were you referring yeah. to something else no that was it absolutely 100% better than anything yeah just about better than anything ever um as a as a proper job because oh, well it was just i mean it was just phenomenal am i, I right just, uh, uh, am i right that were you married to sharon at the time already or mm, not 
All right, so yeah. it was, a, no, it was no, a real no. sort of husband and wife little partnership no, going on there. No, for the first year, no, we didn't get married till um, 2000. So like for the first two years, no. And for the second two years, yes. So, yeah, Great, and it yeah. was, uh, and yeah, and we lived just down the road. And so that made, obviously, it a lot easier. But, you know, the the thing was, and I understand why you and John would have kind of, you know, would cross swords at some point. But if you went to work at the tower, all you all you had to do was um was believe in it, really. And it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't difficult to believe in what the tower was doing. And you know, John well he didn't really teach me this, but I learned it from John that like you know, John's the sort of guy that even if he said something was wrong or even if he said something that was wrong and it was a bad idea, I'd still go out and bat for him for it because, like, I totally believed in him overall, you know. I mean, he's, like, huge, huge, massive, massive influence on me. I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't be doing this now. I wouldn't be doing music for theatre shows. I wouldn't be doing... I wouldn't have done SXSC with you. You know, it, like, none of, yeah. none of this yeah. would have happened without John Tellett. And, um, but yeah, it was, sorry, I'm rabbiting away. No, I'm, no, it's, I'm, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, having a, a, a kind of role model in, 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 in that way. Remember I was in the first episode talking so much about my headmaster that I, I yeah, looked up yeah, to yeah, so yeah, much. That, yeah. These things are really important, aren't they? Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, John would give you like enough free reign to do your own thing. And he was totally open to stuff i mean also i wouldn't be doing the graphic design thing because when i first started at the tower the tower brochure back then art centers used to do seasonal mm. three times a year you know glossy brochures that then got mailed out to you know thousands of people tell me about it yeah trying, exactly. trying to book a gig when they say oh unfortunately we can't because the brochure's already gone out yeah well it's <laughs> well, normally the, the, the brochure went to print yesterday sorry about that yeah that but that's because you have to you know, if you're working somewhere like that, you have to program so far in advance. So, yeah. I mean, it's just totally understandable. It's not really that the brochure's gone out, but it's the fact that the the programming has been done. That was all being done and designed and printed by Hampshire printers. And, you know, in Hampshire County Council, each, each department still pays the other department. Mm. And the design costs for that were like phenomenally huge. And I was talking to John about it and John said, do you reckon we could do it? And I was saying, yeah, I've looked over the shoulders of a few people while well, they're using what well, was PageMaker and Photoshop. I reckon if we get the software, we can do it. And so John went, yeah, sure. I'll then order it. And so, yeah, the first things that I ever properly designed on a computer were Tower Art Center brochures, which then in a weird way, I mean, then they spiraled out of control because um, <laughs> they got very silly because obviously we could, we, we could do what we wanted. So like the terms and conditions in the back used to go completely bonkers. And John and I went to an a, um, art centre's meeting um, in Winchester once, Hampshire County Council Art Centre's meeting, and all the centre directors and publicity officers and this were sitting around and everybody took their new brochures and... And John said to somebody, what do you think about it? And she said, it's a bit wanky, isn't it? <laughs> and, you know, she was she was probably right. But then there was nobody to tell us to stop. And to this day, well, I don't know, it's to this day, but like Barney, 
who um, runs the West End Centre in Aldershot, or did run the West End Centre in Aldershot, he um, he just kept those old tower things just because they were a laugh. And then we went through a phase of writing to famous people to see if they would play. Like we wrote to Steely Dan, oh. we, wrote, we wrote to Britney Spears, we went, we wrote to President Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter actually replied. We asked him to come and do a talk. And he wrote back and he thanked us for our, our kind hospitality, which was such a southern oh. gent thing to say. But yeah, it was, yeah, it was, God, it was such good times. And that's, I mean, as I'm saying, all this stuff is just office stuff. This is just the stuff that I'm the office. That, and this doesn't include getting drunk with John Cooper Clark or the Mighty Boosh. You know, all that was added extra, really. Just, oh, it was just so good. So, so good. So on a typical day, you'd have uh, all sorts of art classes and uh, craft and uh, theatre groups and children's groups and stuff going on during the day. And then in mm -hmm. the evening, there would be theatre performances. I remember, um, what were those, uh, what was that theatre company called with the Britain Brothers? Incredibly eccentric uh, Fort guys. Beard Fantasy. Fort Beard Fantasy. They mm. uh, were tower regulars and, and very good friends with John and they would close the whole place down for a week wouldn't they or may, maybe they paid to take it over I don't know but because they they would invariably launch their incredibly eccentric productions with huge uh, and, and completely fallible collapsing sets yeah, uh, and, and extraordinary people doing really strange things and speaking in very odd voices you know, to speak like to each other, didn't they? Yeah, and, and John John directed most of those shows. That's right. And then they were, and then having sort of got them up to scratch at the tower, they would then launch them on the weekend, and then they'd go off around the country, yeah, uh, subsidised by uh, enormous arts council grants. They were they were fun, um, and they, they, I mean among the, among the very many things I remember about the tower is um, I, I enrolled on a on a painting course with. Kevin Rayner. Kevin Rayner mm. is, uh, was a member of the original Winchester punk band, The Bar. And then he, I think he was kind of self-employed there, wasn't he? But did all his classes there. I don't think he was actually employed by the tower, but I don't know how it worked. But he, first of all, it was like a modern art class that I enrolled in. And it was great. We were sort of... Uh, attacking canvases with strange implements and hurling paint around the room and things. And I learned one thing then, you know, people who go into a, a galleries of modern art and, and sort of look around and say, well, anybody could do that. Um, because all they've done is thrown a bit of paint at a canvas. Well, I, I learned that if you just throw paint at a canvas and roll it up with linoleum and, uh, and, and strange, um, brushes and and, and, and and hammers and things uh, you don't necessarily come out with some good quality art because I've got a shed full of terrible canvases to prove it that we did <laughs> <laughs> but um, brilliant fun and I found it utterly inspiring so much so that I then enrolled on one of Kevin's other courses which was also I think based at the tower yeah, which is well, a watercolor post, uh, watercolor yeah. course, and uh, we went off around the 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 countryside of Hampshire, and he would select um, a a particular landscape for us to to paint. And once again, I found that tremendously sort of relaxing and satisfying. But Jesus, if you look at the 
I've kept all the paintings, of course. They are so awful. And and you look at a watercolour and you think, well, how hard can that be? And then when you actually try and paint a watercolour, you realise just how hard it can be. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, again, these were all things. And then they, my one of my most abiding memories, we'll come on to some classic gigs in a minute, shall we, and talk about them. I can't wait. But um, one time... I was uh, due to come up to the tower and uh, review um, Eric Bibb, who, mm. uh, well, that's another story of a friend of mine who lives in the in the village where I live, uh, managed Eric Bibb for many years, and I think probably was managing around that time. Anyway, it's the first time I would have seen him. And I'd done a preview in the paper, and uh, it was an absolute classic tower thing, because despite the slightly alternatively atmosphere it was also very strict and had this strict uh, 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 rules about behavior and timings and punctuality and yeah. you remember it had that sliding glass door and you could come up the steps and the door would would slide back and you walk in and i, I came up the steps and i was i'd been waiting for the babysitter to arrive so i was it was one minute past eight and the show was starting at eight and i came up and the, lo and behold, the door did not open. And I sort of nearly bashed my nose on it. And I sort of stood there and I kind of peered through. And inside the door was John Tellett just shaking his head. Uh, and I sort of mouthed to him, oh, can I come in? You know, I'm supposed to be doing a review. And he just shook his head and said, no. Yeah. And uh, and that was that. I had no alternative but to go away. So uh, I wasn't too pleased about it. But, but one thing I did learn from him, which I do to this day at all our gigs and shows that we put on in Winchester is he always insisted on coming on stage and introducing the artist, no matter who it was. Yeah. Uh, with a little speech and a little few jokes and the kind of some kind of references to their previous work and what have you. And I thought that made everything feel much more personal. You know how many, so many venues just, they don't even try and communicate, do they? They're just, the bands come on and come off. And I always find sort of introducing a band gets the whole evening off to a great start and he was very good at that and so I, that's a technique i copied from him yeah i remember once i i started doing those for him yes you did when he wasn't available and well there was one time where see i'm going to say it wrong uh jackie levin or jackie leven oh well i don't know i used to say leven but then i was told leven by other people so the answer is i don't know but he used to play regularly at the tower didn't he yeah and i i said i so yeah it was my job to go on and introduce jackie so i said to jackie jackie is it leven or leven and <laughs> and let's say that he said leven and by the you know three seconds later while i'm out there in front of 118 people no idea that's like completely gone from my head so oh. I don't know. I had no idea to this day what I said, but he yeah, probably, those, would, have, those he probably would have nutted well. you or something if you got it wrong. So I'm sure you got it right. Ah, he's a lovely guy. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he had, had, to, his, yeah. had to be careful. He had his demons. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But he did put on some wonderful shows there. Yeah, for sure. No, it was, um, I mean, like you're talking about Kev's art classes. I mean, that, that would have been, I think Kev was probably there sort of two mornings or a day and a half a week. And then the rest of the time there was, you know, uh, music for children. There was John Suter's um, sculpture classes. There was stuff going on in the evenings. It was, it was, it was full on and full time. And I guess it's the same with a lot of other arts things is people go along to the thing that they're interested in and they don't necessarily 
uh, spend any time or any attention on the other things that are happening in that same building. And so a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't know half the things that went on because it, it wouldn't have been of interest to them. And that's obviously totally fair enough. But I mean, like you, you were talking about that punk rock festival gig yes. um, going a bit crazy. Well, the first time that we put on the men they couldn't hang. Oh, I remember you telling me about this. I'm glad I wasn't there. That was on a Saturday night. And what we used to do on the, oh God, I think it was like the third Sunday of every month on two o'clock in the afternoon, we used to have um, children's theatre, theatre for kids. Um, as in not a class, like a professional children's theatre company would come in first thing on the Sunday morning, set up. And so you can imagine this men they couldn't hang gig with like 200 people in there that got a bit crazy and the next day when we were clearing up and this is probably sort of eight o'clock in the morning before the theater company did a get in at nine or so we found a pair of men's underpants and we were just like thinking what was happening in that mosh pit for that <laughs> that to happen you know and it, it, it's all those things and so you, and then you get all these families coming into this nice sparkling clean venue uh, and thinking, wow, you know, this is what a wonderful, calm, blissful place to bring my young children to watch a bit of theatre. Not having, you know, the slightest clue that only a few hours beforehand it was complete carnage. <laughs> and that, and that's right. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't anybody's job to point out to them what we'd gone through. You know, a lot of people seem to sort of, I remember those, well, some people seem to get into the promoting game for some sort of glory and you know you you can't do that you have to do it because it's the right thing to do not for your own personal you know nobody's gonna nobody should be carrying you down the high street on their shoulders <laughs> yeah, because, well. you, because you put a gig on you know the the end result is the you know people enjoying it and it, another thing i learned from those days is that you know we used to um take acts to perform into town and we took the Zimbabwe and sort of vocal band called Sunduza and plonked them down by the buttercross and they did their thing and the reaction of people in Winchester was just amazing and it was the it was the first time that I'd got the same kick as playing a gig and that's when a lot of things kind of changed for me because I just like thought wow so you can get just as much kick making something happen as you can being the thing that's happening itself. Sorry, I'm starting to sound like Martin Heidegger or something. <laughs> well, n no, because I mean, you know, nobody knows better than me the buzz you get out of uh, successfully yeah, putting exactly. on a, on, you do, on a good don't you? gig. But yeah. I think you probably, well, I know you were instrumental in kind of getting me restarted on it because uh, actually I don't think we have talked at all about uh, about my promoting in early days in Winchester, but... Um, Bigot and I used to put on gigs in town and mm. uh, invariably um, very st stress-laden gigs because it was the height of the punk era. But um, th there was a, there quite a long gap then when I wasn't doing anything like that. Um, and it wasn't until I started, till you started putting on music at the Tower... Yeah. Then I began because I knew you to get a little bit of an insight into how it was all working. Yeah. Um, and then eventually I caught the bug. But uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, could I put you on the spot and say what was the 
the best or, or the most fulfilling show you ever put on there and I, I won't say what I think you're going to say but if you do say what I think you're going to say I will say yes I thought you were going to say that <laughs> oh that's really difficult I, uh, I mean it was great seeing brilliant people in such a small room and there's so many good ones whether that be musical whether that be things like theatre companies like people like us or Forkbeard in the early days, um, but oh, I guess in a way, the one that's had the longest reaching effect is the first time Peter Brunnell played there. Uh, so, but, like, I, I booked Willow Grant Conspiracy, and Lenny George, who was their agent, said, do you need a support? And I said, yeah, I suppose a support would be good. And he said, you should get this guy, Peter Brunnell, his band are London-based. They've just done a tour with Willow Grant Conspiracy. So they all know each other, book this guy. And um, so, yeah, I booked Peter Brunnell, not knowing really a thing about Peter Brunnell. They sent me a copy of um, Normal for Bridgewater. And then I just played that to death and loved it. And then loved the band, loved them personally. And then we booked them back again to do like a solo show. And then, and then Pete, I think Pete and James ended up opening for Neil Casal mm -hmm. as well when Neil Casal played there. Um, and then, well, yeah, that takes us to us putting on gigs because then when I left the tower in 2002, Pete wanted a gig at the tower and going back to the problem of the programming being done, the brochure being done, we couldn't get Pete in on at short notice. And so that's when you and I decided to sort of take a bit of a plunge and think, oh, I wonder if we can book the railway and put Pete on there and see if it works and it did and and the rest is history as they say yeah yeah but, yeah well i've certainly never looked back and it's been the most wonderful fulfilling um experience um of of, of my life i you, i i was actually say, uh sorry. yeah I'll, I'll give you a second chance in a second because uh <laughs> i think i think i told you the weekend before that i i was actually in amsterdam with with a friend and we went to the paradiso to see uh to see Willow Grow Up Conspiracy. Mm. And uh, it was one of the early occasions. I mean, do you remember when you used to go to gigs? You would never get the people who'd been on stage coming out and sitting at the merch stand and selling you the stuff and talking to you. And now, of course, it's completely the done thing. Yeah, so Robert Fisher was sitting at the merch stand. Uh, and I just said, oh, um, I'm going to be uh, seeing you next weekend. Um uh, where I live in 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 a a, a town in uh, England, and he said, uh, "Oh yeah, we're playing some quite big places. We're going to be playing in Manchester, London, and Winchester." And I thought, "Right, you've got a, 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 an interesting experience coming up going to the tower." Yeah. Um, and uh, I got to say, as an aside, I, I was very lucky. He 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 uh, came with a sort of small version of. Willow Grant to uh, the Talking Heads in Southampton, probably only about a year before he died, and it was mm. the most staggeringly good show. Yeah, a lot more intense and electric than than what I've been used to. But yeah, I suppose that must have been one of my first exposures to um, alt country, if I can use that horrendous expression. Um, no, I thought you were going to say um, Dan Penn and Spooner Oldham because to me that was the the greatest triumph, even in winchester not not just the tower 
Yeah, that was a bit of a coup, really. And that Tell one, me how that came about. It just came about. I think that was Lenny again. Lenny offered us Dan Penn and Spoon Roller. And then I think he regretted it um, because <laughs> the, the price kept creeping up. Oh, uh, yeah. But we, we, we didn't bottle it and we kept going. Because actually the, the, the show that we learned from from that was when we got offered Lloyd Cole. Oh, yes. And so we said yes. And it was, I don't know, it was 800 quid or something like that. And and then the agent got back and said, oh, we were looking at the dates and the way it all fits together. And uh, Lloyd can't really like come down and play a small place in Winchester for just 800 quid. You know, it's going to be have to be a grand. Mm-hmm. So John and I had to think about it and we went back and said, yeah, all right, a grand. And it went up and in the end we paid like 1500 for him. Um, and ticket price was something like 20 quid, which was like by far like the highest ticket price the tower I think had ever put on anything. And obviously it just, it sold out in, sold out in seconds. Yes. All good. And, and Lloyd was lovely and the gig was brilliant. Um, but it was, yeah, so I think by the time... Dan Penn, Spoon Oldham came around. We had learned that you could whack the ticket price above what was a traditional sort of tower price, which was, you know, 850 full price, 750 concessions, six pound members or something like that. Mm. So, yeah, we kind of, um, yeah, we learned from that. So, yeah, it was just Lenny. It literally was. There was nothing, no, nothing fancier than being offered Dan Penn and Spooner and, and we just kept saying yes to however much they songwriting asked. legends in a small place mm. like that it was yeah. just absolutely breathtaking and once again I arrived uh, must have been one minute to eight because I was allowed in but there was the only um, place left was right at the very very front literally touching the stage and uh, I suffer from quite severe claustrophobia and I just and, but the music was so incredible that it just tra- transported me away and I, I i wasn't wasn't worrying about things anymore they had their wives with them didn't they the, they called them the do right women yeah they went off shopping <laughs> which sounds like a terribly sexist kind of like, like stereotypical thing to say but that's what they did they went into town shopping well well yeah well those two were sound checking but they're still I mean, alive like these those two you know they must be in their 80s now but um... yeah i mean there's lots there was lots of glorious gigs but there was loads of loads of gigs where you know there was no one there yes which, well, which in a way are, yes. are almost the gigs where that you can kind of talk about not talk about more but it, it it's more impressive to say that well i mentioned them before but the mighty boosh played probably a total of probably like seven eight seven or eight nights there in the time that i was there and over those eight nights probably 25 30 people really yeah i thought they were quite popular but at that stage but that was later on was it that was later on there's about Ah. two or three years after that that they yeah because we used to you know so they used to play all the art centers and they used to do edinburgh Edinburgh warm-ups so with things like um the first show was called the mighty boosh and then there was one called Arctic Bush, and then there was Auto Bush. And for those two second ones, they would do like a three-night run at the tower. Like we would get them really, really cheap, and in return they could leave all their gear there, and they could spend as much time, and they would just be rehearsing, rehearsing, performing, 
in the run-up to going to play Edinburgh Fringe. And around the same time, they would do that maybe at other art centres and we'd go and see them there and then, you know, we'd yeah, see them up at Edinburgh. And so, yeah, it's it's almost it's almost gigs like that that you can kind of dine out on more. And the fact that, you know, post-Arctic Monkeys, like John Cooper Clark, has suddenly become uh, like a massive star again. Whereas, yes. like, you know, when we were booking... John, it was it was a it was a very very different thing. You just wouldn't get many people turning up, and one of those people that might not turn up to the show would be John himself. So there was always that, and there's some. <laughs> you mean John you, Cooper Clark? Yeah, yeah, and we got John to support the men they couldn't hang once as well. Oh, ah, there's some stories about that night. Go on then. Oh, I don't know if I can tell them like legally. <laughs> uh, it's it's mainly stories that John. Oh no, no, I can't because All right. yeah, I know and, enough about John Cooper Clark's habits yeah. uh, from reading uh, the uh, biography of Nico, uh, where uh, it, it goes into quite a lot of detail about his uh, about his uh, exploits, which uh, he's got some, we shouldn't talk about here. He's got some choice words about John Cale, which are very funny, but they're not words I can use on a on a podcast at all but yeah. so around at that time uh, there were a, about five or six of these art centres around Hampshire and uh, they were a, a fantastic public um, mm. facility weren't they but uh, the, eventually uh, along with everything else I guess um, they were being forced to try and pay their own way weren't they and the subsidies were being reduced and you know they they, they occupied um potentially quite valuable pieces of real estate didn't they and and, and am i right that they've pretty much all gone now there's still there's still um there's still a few knocking around which i'd like i played earlier this year on the theater tour so we did the we did the ashcroft um we did fair no not fairfields we did the ashcroft we did the forest and we did the spring, which used to be called Haven't Arts Active. Oh yes, and, and they used to be it used to be called Andco, which was the, the the kind of like the blanket name for the five or six funded Hampshire County Arts Centres. But what happened was was that I think HCC made a decision that they were only going to fund five, and they spent a load of money building the Disco Centre in Winchester, and so it was like which one are they going to keep? Are they going to keep this shiny new thing that they're really proud of? Or are they going to keep the Tower Arts Centre? And they kept the the shiny new thing. But the, you know, so the, but then the Tower kind of closed twice then because there was, a, we had a big kind of closing party and then there was a stay of execution. And then, so we had another one. Um, but yeah, that that's why the, the Tower shut. And, and from that day until this, Nobody, and I don't don't mean just my generation of like Sharon, me, Pauline, whoever, but like later on with like people like Rob and Joe Roberts and Anita, nobody's kind of seen or heard from John since. And to be honest, I just I don't bloody blame him. Like after what happened, you know that it was it was his thing, and you know, like I said, he should have got a gold statue rather than what. What happened? Had he re- um, had he reached retirement age and would have been going anyway? He he was close, but he never he you know that that place did just did so much good that 
there was no reason there was no reason for John not to carry on. I mean, it was it was purely a political, you know, decision, a political and financial decision. The money, there was only enough money for it to go in one place. I mean, I, you know, I certainly wouldn't want to sort of denigrate the, you call it a disco centre, don't I hope no listeners think that means it's a disco. It, it basically is a library. Well, there's, it was a policy over Hampshire uh, to call libraries discovery centers and then they only added like one little hall at the back of it which for performance space and they otherwise it's still just a library where and it's got a room where you can perform but a no matter how what they do they couldn't they can't inject any atmosphere into it because certainly not in comparison with the water tower because it's just a modern square box of a building and b they don't have the kind of programming even remotely like the tower do they so no. uh, so so all that is basically it's gone we tried to create the gigs at the railway uh very hard to do because it's not subsidized uh and uh other than that winchester is massively poorer artistically isn't it for for the loss of the tower yeah and it's it's just one of those things they had such a kind of like good hold and like a lot of us that work there still kind of correspond to each other and we get, you know, teary eyed about it. And there's, like I said, there's a, a billion, a billion great stories. And, and like one of the proudest things I've ever been described as I was, I don't know if it was the same meeting where our brochure got called wanky, but <laughs> some, somebody in a meeting once, once described me as John Tellett's disciple on earth, which, <laughs> which I to, I'm, I'm totally happy to be there. And we should end this episode now, and I'll end it on a joke. So here's the joke. How many Arts Centre directors does it take to change a light bulb? I don't know, Richard. How many Arts Centre directors does it take to change a light bulb? Five. One to change the light bulb, and four to discuss how John Tellett would have done it. (laughs) 